Let's pray. Father, there are many things in our lives that we call valuable, things that are important possessions to us. Some things that we even go so far as saying we couldn't possibly live without these things or this person or these people. But yet there are other prized possessions that you give us. We know the most important possession, of course, is you, to have you living in our hearts through the presence of the Holy Spirit. And let, yet you bless us with so many other things that we should prize. Today is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Amen. The text I'm going to use this morning is from the prophet Jeremiah, sometimes called the weeping prophet. He seemed to be a kind of a pretty sad dude if you read through everything he's going through. But in verses 7 and 8, he says, Blessed is the man who trusts the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. Well, as I said at the beginning of our service, we are in our third and final week of our series that we call Rhythm. It's a series really about habits that we need to develop, uh, habits that help us set the rhythm, if you will, for every day, uh, the rhythm of our lives. And I'm going to start up with a quote. You'll see his picture up here. He's, uh, his name is William James. Uh, William James was a 19th century psychologist. He talked a lot about habits. And some of you know how very easily habits are to set, but how very difficult habits are to break. Well, James said, to make our nervous system our ally instead of our enemy, we must make automatic and habitual as early as possible as many useful actions as we can and guard against growing into ways that are likely to be disadvantageous to us as we should guard against the plague. Now, all he's saying is that we ought to start as early as we can to develop good habits and try to stay as far away as we can from starting bad habits. We ought to avoid bad habits like the plague. Now, he also goes on to say something else. You'll see that here, too. He says, habit simplifies the movements required to achieve a given result, makes them more accurate, and diminishes fatigue. In other words, if you can kind of live your life with a rhythm... If you, for example, even a simple little thing like waking up in the morning and saying, this is the day the Lord has made, I will rejoice and be glad in it. You start off in the beginning, that will shape you in your thoughts and your actions the rest of the day. Now, I'm not going to forget this first song. I I like that little guitar riff in there. I, I thought this morning when I was up in the balcony, I thought, man, Listen to Gwen jamming on the piano, but then I thought, hold it. Aha, I saw it. I'm going to remember that. And I'm going to remember, today is the day. Today is the day. And when we do that, when we start out our day with God, and we remind ourselves, you know, we are far better off. Now, along these same line, there's another guy. His name is Jim Ryan. Uh, I don't know if you remember Jim Ryan. He was the first high school student ever to run the mile in under four minutes. And he later went on to become a congressman, I believe it was, from the state of Kansas. Uh, He said, motivation is what gets you started. 
Habit is what keeps you going. Now, I think about this. What would motivate me to say, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Well, because I know God gave me this day. I know what God in Jesus Christ has done for me. That's like all the motivation I really need. And when I have the proper motivation, I want to be able to say, okay, I've got His great love for me. What is going to be my response? Well, my response would be spiritual disciplines. My response, not to earn anything, but my just spiritual discipline. It would be the rhythm of life. Because God has saved me from my sins, guess what? Every day I live is the day the Lord has made. You know, to quote Uncle Si from Duck Dynasty, happy, 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 <laughs> Jack. Um, now, it's absolutely essential that you learn good habits. Uh, they can be the driving force of your daily routine. And that's because, here's another quote, it's by a guy named Sean Covey, we become what we repeatedly do. I mean, some people, some of you are so very predictable. Guess why? You keep doing the same thing over and over and over and over and over. Now, we've talked about living, the very first thing, maybe remember, living in a, in a rhythm of gratitude. We handed out a hundred Bibles in the prison this week. And I tell you, it's amazing to me to see someone cry when they receive one of those study Bibles. They are so thankful for them. I don't know how many times during the course of the week somebody comes and says, Doc, thank you. I can't thank you enough. I mean, that's a, that's a rhythm of gratitude that they had. You know, it's starting each day the right way because, now like last week, we heard all's well that, not ends well, but all's well that starts well. And today we're going to talk about the rhythm of responsibility, which is kind of developing the habit of taking ownership of each day and each aspect in our day. Why? Because today is the day. We're going to do that because this is the day the Lord has made, and he says we will rejoice and be glad in it. Now, I know that a lot of things happen each day uh, over which you have no control. Uh, for example, the weather. I thought it was going to be 75, 85 degrees all day in Angola, Louisiana. Not when the cold front comes through. And when I walked into my class, I had to walk into the prison on Sunday with a short, or on Friday with a short sleeve shirt on. And somebody said, now, Doc, where do you live again? I said, Texas. He said, you look like you come from Hawaii. <laughs> And I had on a red floral shirt. I have no control over the weather. Uh, I have no control. You have no control over the economy. Uh, you have no control sometimes over the traffic. You're breezing along and suddenly, boom, you're stuck in it. You have no control over what politicians do or don't do. Uh, you know, if you're a parent, you, 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 know, you really don't have much control at times over what your kids do or don't do. Uh, Friday, we find out that there's going to be no power in the prison from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. You know, when you're teaching using PowerPoint, that kind of puts a crimp. Yeah, but you have no control over that. Now, there are things, or these are things over which we have no control, but, and oddly, you know what happens? We tend to spend the most time worrying and fussing and fretting over stuff we really can't control. And when we spend all of our times fussing and feuding and fretting, guess what? We don't spend as much time thinking and giving attention to the things that are really good. 
I mean, if I wake up in the morning and I go, Oh, good God, it's another day. i got to go back to that crummy job again. Guess what? Your whole day is going to be that way. And quite honestly, I wouldn't want to work with you. I'm going to get to that a little bit later. But, you know, if you can get up in the morning and start your day off right, this is the day the Lord has made. I will. I don't care what happens. I'm not going to focus on all that other nonsense out there because God's given me this day. I think that's cool. Now, today I want to talk about taking ownership of the things that you can own. And, there, and God says there are things you ought to just own them. And, and then release the things you don't. Uh, and when you get in the habit of taking responsibility for that which you are responsible for and let go of all that stuff which does not belong to you, God says you're going to get into that rhythm that will move you in the direction of God's purpose for your life. See, when we got all this garbage out in front of us, where God wants to lead us that day, we forget about it. So three areas of ownership. Here's the very first area of ownership. Own your attitude. When I was teaching and coaching in high school, we had a group of junior boys who decided to form what they called ABA. It stood for All Bad Attitude. And they decided that they were going to exhibit ABA in every way they could conceivably do it. They were all bad attitude all the time. Guess what? It doesn't really work very well. See, you can't always control what's going on around you, but one thing is you can control your attitude. Uh, you can't always control what's going on inside of you, maybe, but the way you feel, but you can control your attitude. That's why the Bible says what? Have this mind of Christ. Understand, start thinking the way Jesus did. You know, when you pray a prayer, this I pray in Jesus' name is not uttering some magic word. It is identifying with the way Jesus did. I'm praying this, having prayed through the way Jesus would think about my prayer. Now, I don't always wake up uh, feeling joyous and full of praise. I mean, check with Nancy later. I, I don't always wake up you know, happy, happy, happy. Uh, in, in fact, there are days uh, I just kind of go, mm. <laughs> you know, I just kind of grunt for a while. I, I wake up grumpy. Um, and when that happens, uh, you can't change your feelings the way you feel at that particular time, but you can change your attitude. You change your attitude with a snap of your fingers. Now, when Victor Frankl, maybe some of you know this guy, when he was placed in the German concentration camp, uh, in World War II. He was separated from his wife and his family. Everything he had was taken away from him. And even as they pulled the wedding band off of his finger, uh, he had this kind of an epiphany that changed the way he experienced hardship. And later he wrote these words, Everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of the human freedoms, to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's way. You know, when I thought, found out that the power is going to be out in prison on, on, on Friday, my initial reaction was, oh, rats. You know how hot it is. You know, you're going to be in this building that has no windows or doors in it. It's going to get hot in there. We won't have light. We won't be able to... I was thinking about... I, had, I was developing a bad attitude. And then all of a sudden, it dawned on me, we still get to teach God's Word. 
we still got 25 guys who want to come to class. And then, lo and behold, God changes the weather on us. I mean, what a better deal to have the temperature drop into the 40s when you don't have air conditioning. You know, you know, we could get up and say, man, this is cold today, but this is the day the Lord has made. We can deal with this. We can rejoice in this. Uh, in the house our daughter lives in, it's our home, actually, or it's our house, but Terry lives in it. In her guest bedroom, she has this poster, and it's words from Chuck Swindoll. And I don't know if I have this. Uh, I do have it up there. Uh, but Chuck Swindoll has it's a poster about attitude. And he says, attitude is more important than the past, than education, than money, than circumstances, than what people think or say or do. It's the most, it's more important than appearance, giftedness, or skill. It will make or break a company, a church, a home. The remarkable thing is we have a choice every day regarding the attitude we will embrace that day. We cannot change our past. We cannot change the fact that people will act in a certain way. We cannot change the inevitable. The only thing we can do is play on the one string that we have, and that is our attitude. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. And you know something? Your attitude, the attitude with which you start the day, changes everything in your day. Uh, in the NBA, National Basketball Association, uh, the owners and the general managers have this kind of unwritten rule. It's called the 5 to 1 rule. The 5 to 1 rule. And it means that one positive person can positively affect five people. But they also know that one negative person can negatively affect five people. That's why there are some, play some players who are in great demand on every team and that's why some guys who are very talented can't get a job. Now, you think about that. You know, they drag, some people drag other people's attitudes down. Some people make everybody else happy. Now, Dennis, i got to tell you, I love going to the bank down here on your branch. And you know exactly what I'm talking about. You've got a teller down there that I don't care how I feel when I walk in there and she says hello to me and she's really bubbly. I, my whole attitude suddenly changes. I hope she kind of does that for everybody at, at your place of business. But can you imagine if you had to work with Miss Grumpy all the time? You know, and it just like it just wears you out to even go to work, and she affects anybody and everybody there. Well, you know, you need to make the five to one rule work in your favor uh, to make your day better. I, this is a, a few passages. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. That that, that set the tone. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Isn't that an interesting thing? Living is okay, but dying would be even better. Now, how can you say that with a smile on your face? You know, because some of you have got stuff to do yet today. <laughs> well, it really would be better. Do everything without complaining and arguing so that you may become blameless and pure. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as it's working for the Lord and not for men. Not for men. I, those are just, that's taking ownership. Um, these verses remind us that your attitude, this attitude of Christ, this, this mind of Christ, it sets the tone for your day. It establishes the rhythm of your life. Now, i got one more quote here. Uh, Duke Ellington, I don't know if some of you remember this a few years ago. They had the Ken Burns PBS special on jazz music. And he was asked how he felt 
to be unable, because of segregation laws, to stay in the guest rooms of the hotels where he and his band performed. And he said, I took the energy it takes to pout and wrote some blues. You know, he wrote some great music. He just took ownership of his attitude. I don't know whether he was a Christian or not, but he just said, my attitude is not going to affect who I am. Well, here's the second area of responsibility. Own your schedule. You know, God has given each one of us 24 hours a day. You know, your work schedule, uh, your school schedule if you're a student, even your retirement schedule, I suppose, may already be somewhat determined. You've got A, B, C to do every day. But you're probably in charge of some time in your day where you can choose. Now, you can either control how you spend your time or your time is going to control how you, you, you schedule. Now, how many hours a week do you think the average person in America watches television? How many hours a week does the average American watch television? This might surprise you. It's 35 hours. 35 hours a week. Now, how is that possible? Uh, are there that many football and basketball and baseball games on television? Uh, I mean, 35 hours a week, by the way, adds up to nine complete years in an average person's lifespan. I mean, can you imagine that? Can you imagine in your twilight years say, man, I, I spent nine years watching television. I, I just can't imagine. I mean, now I'm not against television. Uh, I mean, I have a television. I watch television. But I think all of us know that we can pass the relaxing for a little while with some entertainment phase and move very easily into wasting night after night after night on the sofa phase. Uh, and one way to take ownership is just to say, I'm going to find something better to do, maybe with my day or my evening, than watching Dancing with the Stars or reruns of Murder, She Wrote. Now, uh, I've kind of even saying part of that to myself. See, every day of your life uh, doesn't have to be lived as though you're in boot camp. I mean, God never says that. But it's a good day to build into your life that which ought to be the most important thing because of your relationship with God. Your devotional time. You know, time with your family. Time with, you know, for a workout. Time to read something that would help you grow spiritually or professionally. Now, we see this in what Jesus said. Jesus said in Luke 4, uh, at daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. Now, I always think that if Jesus would take time to go out by himself, maybe it's not such a bad idea for us to do that, too. Uh, now, more than any other person on earth, he knew what it was like to be in demand. Everywhere he went, somebody wanted a piece of his time. They wanted a little bit of his attention. Crowds were with him everywhere. But even Luke says in Luke 5, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Now, I think if that's what Jesus does, and he's called me to be a Christ follower, maybe I ought to be doing that, too. Now, maybe some of you have heard the phrase, the tyranny of the urgent. Uh, it's a book that was written by uh, Charles Hummel about 50 years ago. And in it, he says how often we fail to do what's most important because we are spending time doing what's most pressing at the moment. If you're not careful, you can spend your entire day, your entire life, tending to urgencies, putting out fires, and never getting around to doing what's really important. One of the things I have inmates tell me, you know, some of their biggest regrets. I mean, they'll talk about the regret of their crime. 
but they talk about the big regret of not having spent more time with their family, having spent more time with their kids growing up. They now wish they had done that. See, I've learned that a lot of what we consider to be urgent, uh, a lot of stuff in our life we consider to be emergencies, the important, really aren't. You know, unless you're talking about saving somebody's life, you know, somebody stopped breathing, almost anything can wait. Uh, but what can't wait is this, fulfilling the purpose for which God has called you. What can't wait is getting around in life to what God has really called you to do, which is to be a servant to other people. That's the bottom line. If you want to plan uh, uh, for your time, if you don't plan your time, guess what? Somebody else will do it for you. And you can be sure that if somebody else plans your life for you, they're not going to plan what's best for your life. Uh, there's only one solution to that, and that is with the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, take control of your time. Get in the habit of organizing your day around what's most important. And what is most important for a Christ follower? Time with Jesus. That's where you start. Time with Jesus. Now, here's the third thing. Own your decisions. Own your decisions. And again, we have another quote. Uh, is a former college coach, football analyst, Terry Bowden. Uh, he said, accept the fact that only you can determine where you want to go and how you're going to get there. Now, sometimes when it comes to decision-making, uh, there are two mistakes that we often make. Uh, one mistake is to allow other people to make the decisions that you should make yourself, like how much time you should spend on something or how, how you should spend your money or, or whatever. A lot of other people in your life are always wanting to tell you how to live your life. Another mistake is to deflect that responsibility uh, of the decisions on somebody else which really amounts to blaming everybody else for everything bad that goes wrong in your life. Uh, even in Proverbs, it says, A man's own folly ruins his life, yet his heart rages against the Lord. Guess what? A man's own stupidity causes him problems, and who does he blame? God. And if God's not handy, his wife or her husband or the kids. I mean, have you ever known somebody... I just want you to think for a moment. Have you ever known someone who seems to make bad decision after bad decision after bad decision and then blames all those bad decisions on God or their spouse or circumstance and nothing ever goes right for me? I mean, if you want to li live in the rhythm of God's purpose, you've got to take ownership of your, uh, of your decision. Now, some of you may have heard of a guy, that guy's name is Jack Canfield. He, he wrote The Chicken Soup for the Soul. Uh, when he got out of graduate school way back in 1969, he, he went to work for the other guy there, W. Clement Stone, who's a self-made millionaire who built uh, a big insurance empire and was a publisher of Success Magazine. And Stone one time asked Canfield, are you ready to take 100% responsibility for your life? And Canfield said, I guess so. And Stone said, don't guess. Think. Have you ever blamed anybody for the problems in your life? Have you ever blamed anybody for the circumstances? Have you ever complained about anything? And Canfield said, um, yes, I have. And Stone said that means that you do not take 100% responsibility for your life. If you want to be successful, you have to stop blaming and complaining and take responsibility for everything that happens in your life, both the success and the failures, 
and learn to give glory to God. Now, friends, since you and I are the ones who have to take responsibility for whatever decisions we make, it would serve well to know how to make a better decision. And one way is just to take time to think through it. I mean, after all, that's why God gave you a brain. I don't know if you ever thought about that. He gave you a brain for more than just, you know, keeping your ears from kind of slamming together. Uh, he gave you a brain for other than just, you know, rounding out the top of your head so that the hat fits. Uh, the brain God gave you is to learn how to make decisions. And when you lean on him, you start with the day again. This is the day the Lord has made. I'm going to rejoice and be glad. Of I start filtering through. Now, Warren Buffett, one of the richest people in the world, said, I insist on a lot of time being spent almost every day just to sit and think. This is very uncommon in American business. I read and think. So I do more reading and thinking and make less impulse decisions than most people in business. I do it because I like this kind of life. Now, if one of the busiest, wealthy people in the world would say, I need time to be alone. I need time to think. Well, he's not any different than Jesus who said, I need time to be alone. I need time to be with the Father. I need time to think. Now, there's a balance between being impulsive and indecisive. It's the responsibility of all decision makers to kind of settle that balance. Now, Proverbs 12:15 says, The way of a fool seems right to him, but a wise man listens to advice. Now, you don't want to listen to everybody's advice. I mean, Jason, the last person you ever wanted to come talk to about construction is me. I mean, I kind of know which end of the hammer to hold on to. But I, but I got to tell you, when we built our first house, our, our builders, remember our church, was so good to us. He actually gave me a nail gun, backed out of the way, and told me I could nail in the partition wall between the kitchen and the dining room. And I did. And then he... When I walked away, he followed behind with his hammer <laughs> and put in all the nails and pulled some out. I don't know how you can shoot a nail gun sideways, but you can. Um, yeah, in the same way, if you want, you want to know how to do your life according to God, the last person you want to talk to is an ungodly person. I mean, the last, if, you, if you want to learn how to live with more joy in your life, the last person you want to talk to is that grumpy old person that sits next to you at work or behind you or in front of you in school. You know, what, you know what they say, you can't soar like an eagle if you hang around with turkeys. Uh, and that's great advice. Uh, Proverbs says, plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. And, and it's not just that you have a whole lot of people around you telling you what to do, but it's having a whole lot of people around you who have that same attitude you have, that this is the day the Lord has made. We'll rejoice with it. Godly people are going to give you godly advice. Now, I could have started out this message by saying, what's your most prized possession? You know, Nancy and I are packing up stuff in, in our home here, and we're gradually kind of moving over to North Richland Hills. And You know, we got, we, you know, like all of you, we've got stuff. All got stuff. And, and so you come down to a decision sometimes, what stuff can you just chuck in the trash? Which, when you do that, you, ever do, you just chuck in the trash, it makes you wonder why you ever had it on your shelf to begin with. Or you figure out, you know, what can we just dump up, you know, dump out on, in front of Gayla's house some night when she's not looking. You know, we're just going to get rid of this stuff. But there's some stuff that you just won't give away. Why? Because you value that. I was looking on my shelf this morning, and I was thinking, I've got to pack some stuff up this week. And, and on about the third shelf down in my office is a whistle on a lanyard. And I thought, I'm hanging on to that. Because that's the one I used when I was coaching in high school and even in college. It's, it's that whistle I used to have. It, it, it means something to me. And it seems kind of dumb, really. But your most prized possession, 
Well, I'll tell you that really what God says is that one of your most prized possessions beyond him is today. You can own today. Uh, You don't have to live every day, you know, like your, what was that old song by Kansas, dust in the wind, you know, just being blown every which way. You can be solid. You can be unshakable. You can be immovable. But it starts by taking ownership. This is the day. And, of course, taking ownership of every day is really by giving ownership away and giving it to Jesus. You know, you can pray this any way you want. You can say every morning, this is the day the Lord has made. Or you can say, Lord, today I give you first place in my life. I surrender my attitude. I surrender my hours. I surrender my minutes. I surrender my schedule. I surrender every detail of my life to you. And guess what? When you give your entire life away to the Lord we find ourselves better able to handle responsibility for our thoughts, our words, and our actions. And when this happens, then those words I read to you at the beginning from Jeremiah just kind of come alive again. Let me read them again. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. And we could say it again. Blessed is the man whose confidence is in him. He will be like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not, he does not fear when heat comes. His leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. And see, that kind of person, that's what it really means to experience the rhythm of taking responsibility for your life. You know, again, one of the favorite Bible passages of mine comes from Ephesians chapter 2. Many of you know it from verses 8, 9, and 10. You know, for by grace are you saved, that passage. But it really kind of boils down in the rhythm of your life each and every day you're going to get up and, and kind of remember that, it, that I'm saved by grace, I'm saved through faith, and I'm saved for service. Why? Because this is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and we will be glad in it. Let's stand in it.